Hello and welcome to Only Fools and Brotherly Forces, the Only Fools and Horses rewatch podcast with me, Jamie, and as always, my brother, Bobby. Good evening, Bob. How is everything going? Good evening, Jay. It is going identical to when you asked me <laughs> two hours ago when we started recording the last episode, <laughs> except I'm a little bit more tired. <laughs> I had this great idea of doing like a real mix up on our intro and like catching everyone off guard. And being like, yeah, it's Wednesday, it's time for Only Fools and Brother, and, and it was a great idea in my head, and uh, didn't have the balls to, to pull it off, so, hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have that kind of energy. <laughs> that would be the most un-English way to introduce such a quintessentially English show. So we should probably summarise this uh little two-parter we've split this episode into. So in part one last week, we saw Dell and Raquel were taking their turn to have some at-home problems. Uh, Raquel being very fed up of all this time that Delboy was uh, spending in the casino and she ended by actually leaving him and is currently now staying with Rodney and Cassandra in their flat. Meanwhile, it turns out that the reason Dell was spending all that time out in casinos was he was trying to do a deal for some Russian ex-military handheld cameras. Also, in last episode, Dell was suffering with some pretty major toothache and we ended with him uh, finally visiting the dentist and having it extracted. Not fatally, fortunately. However, uh, he did end up chatting up and arranging a date with the dental receptionist. Controversial. So, let's get into the 1993 Christmas special, Fatal Extraction, Part 2. Stick a pony in me pocket I'll fetch the suitcase from the van To see one in the flat, Raquel still seems pretty pissed off. That That's literally how I've started off the very start of both of these episodes. No, no, that's because I'm looking at my first note. <laughs> oh, right, good. <laughs> dickhead literally just told you where we are so seeing one or not really seen one but seeing one of our podcasts seeing one uh yeah we're in the flat and <laughs> Lynhurst is doing a, a pretty okay job of making the lighter thing look heavier than it actually is although a little bit of trivia these uh, so-called Russian army camcorders were actually genuine, but obviously now defunct um, broadcast television cameras used by the BBC in the 1980s. They were just painted with camouflage uh, by the props department. So uh, no doubt they probably did weigh a little bit, but Rodney's definitely overegging it. Yeah, he, he he's slightly exaggerating it, but this is what I way back now in uh, The Russians Are Coming... This is how old this uh, gripe of mine is. <laughs> I said, this is what they should do. They should make it heavy that you only have to exaggerate rather than giving actors empty boxes or things that are almost weightless and that they then have to pretend are really heavy. Because making something just seem a bit heavier than it is when it's already a bit heavy is much easier and looks so much less naff. Um, but yeah, this is this is a unit of a camera. I do wonder, is that like the biggest acting challenge that anyone could ever do? I mean, I would consider Nick Lindhurst and David Jason to be, you know, pretty top fly actors. They're not like a De Niro or anything, but, you know, they're really up there. And 
they, as far as I would like to say, are, are incapable of making it look infallible that something is heavier than it actually is. So maybe you want to get like a Pacino or a De Niro or, you know, a DiCaprio and be like, right, ultimate challenge. Who can actually make this look heavy? Well, you know what? That I think one of the things that makes those actors, that top grade actor, so special is um, they would insist on that thing being that heavy and they'd do it. <laughs> that is... It, yeah. They'd method act it, right? Yeah, I feel like you've taken a fun sort of scenario that I had in mind and, and explained it away with no fun, but not incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to just, like, shit on your party with common sense. Yeah. But... <laughs> I guess the best, the best actors in the world have probably... It's more so to do with the resources. You could just say, stick some lead weights in it so I don't have to act this. But if it was actually an acting challenge and they did have something like... There we go. Yeah, who could do it? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, my money's on uh, Leonardo. Yeah, legend. Or Tom Cruise, he can do anything. What you gonna do, Gary? Me the money! Tom Cruise can do anything. <laughs> Although he he would definitely have it heavy and insist with and insist on running with it. <laughs> can you make it heavier than it actually is? <laughs> you just reduce the sun. And then just put it in the box, and then I'll run with it. <laughs> but we uh, we do get one of Rod's all time best "fuck you" responses to the obvious questions that he's dished out, and it's a bit of a Rodney thing that someone asks him a, a, an obvious question, and he just makes up some sort of response. And for me, this is probably the best one he ever does. Oh, they the Russian cameras Dill was telling me about. No, this is a pair of Chelsea boots with an elasticated gusset. Of course it's a bloody Russian camera. <laughs> a gusset is not a word you hear very often, is it? No, not at all. I just thought it was so out of nowhere. It's completely caught me off guard. Oh, God. So, Del Boy tries to play down the uh, the obvious issues with this handheld camcorder. And... Uh, points out the clear build quality and robustness, um, which is, you know, is a thing. I mean, you know, weight can be a sign of quality. Heavy is good. Heavy is reliable. If it doesn't work, you can always hit him with it. It can also be a sign that just something's bloody heavy. <laughs> and I really like that Rodney is so used to Dell getting these sorts of weird and wonderful electronics from other countries now. He knows exactly what he needs to do first. He's Dell points out that the uh, VHS cassette is straight inside the camera, which is actually quite cool because no one ever knew what to do with those little mini tape. That that is how it that is cameras. how that is how it was before that happened, though. Hey? Before yeah, the yeah, high eight tapes they used the big the uh, the big VHS one. Yeah, I don't know if many people ever owned, if many people at home owned cameras that had put straight in your massive VHS cassette <laughs> in them. I don't think anyone I think had it's them. probably not very economical for sort of home use at that stage, but mm. your boy C would probably have one. <laughs> probably. But uh, Rodney takes out this cassette and goes and tries it straight away in the um, in their video player. And of course, it doesn't fit. Very clever of Rodney to check. However, Dell's already checked this as well. And his solution is, 
he's also going to get a consignment of Russian VHS <laughs> recorders that people will have to buy from him as well. I mean... He's like a drug dealer, isn't he? He's like got you hooked on that first one and now he's... I, I've got a few issues with this. <laughs> the main one being he's bought the cameras first on the agreement that the guy he's bought it off is then going to get in a load of video recorders to play them. He might not. He might have just said that to get rid of these cameras he's been lumbered with. It's the kind of thing Dell would say. But also, to be he's fair, already... Dell's, Dell's bought so many things which just straight out didn't work. The computers, for one. The actual other VCRs, for, for another one. It, it's not as though that phased him. Like He'll just set it on bullshit and then be like, oh, it doesn't work. Works fine when I gave it to you. Well, this is the thing. He's already had a load of international... VCRs from the continent and he couldn't get them to work <laughs> so what's going to be any different with these the problem wasn't the video <laughs> no but a pound 50 a throw <laughs> I think I'd still <laughs> go for it but shortly after Dell without any remorse or hesitation mentions that he's got a date and doesn't land very well with with Albert and Rodney. In fact, Albert is, he seems proper down. Like, it almost depresses him. Like, he almost, like, looks at the floor in dismay and, I, I was going to say disgust, but it's not even disgust. It's, it's just dismay. Well, he's probably worried about him to start doing all the uh, housework again, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's, this is an interesting scene because, of course, what Dell is doing is, he's doing a Rodney this is exactly what Rodney did, like half a dozen episodes back with with Tanya, and yet now Rodney is disgusted by the entire thing, claiming it's completely immoral. And I mean, he's right, but it, it's just, he's right because it is immoral. It was also immoral when he did it, yeah. but and Adele was disgusted when Rodney did it. it. It's a bit weird that they're doing kind of the exact same bit. It's it's immoral for different reasons though. Rodney was spitefully doing it to 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 basically cause jealousy, whereas Dell is so so unaware or so uh, so out of his situation that he's just like I'm gonna do what I want and I want to go out and I want to do stuff. Like he he's not doing it in any way to get back at. Raquel in a petty way he's just like I'm single so let's go out on the pool there are little differences there but obviously it's a very Mm. similar situation no you're completely right and that and Del Boy's stance on this whole thing has been um, you know she walked out she left me and that that's an incredibly stupid and out of touch way to look at it but you it's you can understand why he'd think that even though he's wrong. He tries to play the lonely card, but uh, pretty difficult one to play when he's been single for less than 24 hours and is eventually talked out of the whole thing. And he kind of claims that part of the justification was he wanted to see if he still could, which I I don't know. I I guess I buy, but I mean, doesn't make him any better a person, but at least you can kind of see maybe why he did it got carried away in the moment yeah Rodney sort of gives him a bit of a reality check when he says that Raquel was crying and it was a really poignant moment that that kind of affected me like 
it's easy to sort of see the parts that you'd identify with Dell and and he, it's kind of like grief i guess and the way that he's he's handling the grief and and like you said we we were kind of rooting for them for beverly and him to work for some reason and in that you're kind of like blinded by this new romance for a second but when rodney says you know raquel was crying all night long it it did affect me and i had this sort of image of raquel crying and it was it was pretty pretty upsetting yeah it is a very um a very poignant moment and uh we see it kind of really hit home for dell and you know, he pretty much straight away agrees to to go cancel the date, which I guess is the big difference from from Rodney, who was stubborn and said he'd do it, even if he then changed his mind once he'd left the flat. Del Boy's a bit bit shrewder than that. He sees the error of his ways quite quickly, and um, gives Beverly a call and leaves her a message saying the date's off. The next scene is in uh, Rodder's flat. Rod and Cass are discussing some of the recent events while lying in bed and they're trying to sort of chuck their hat in give their sort of two pence worth to their problems which is a little bit rich really oh yeah i mean i i wrote there rodney and cass suddenly relationship experts it's just (laughs) hilarious i mean but i think all, all, all couples do this you like sit in bed and and you know talk about other things other things people do like you know your experts and geniuses so while it is rich it's also uh very true to life but Rodney does switch up this conversation and ends up somehow segueing to saying that Dell was his hero and tells a story about a young Dell coming home with eight A's from his uh GCEs or whatever they called it then O levels that's the one and it's a pretty great story, and obviously, if you've not heard it before, it, it's kind of unbelievable. And uh, yeah, it's a nice reveal, and I, I kind of like this sort of brotherly sort of moment about it. It's uh, yeah, it, it's it's good, and and it's good to see them getting on, Cass and Rod. It, it's pretty rare. I'm not sure we've seen them sort of have a love and friendship since they've pretty much been married. So. That was uh, that was nice to see. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very um, it's a very interesting scene because it kind of swings and sways all the way. You know, start off with this kind of comedy story, and then it gets a bit dark when you hear about um, Dell fighting with his dad. And you know, it, it's kind of dark when you think that his the dad was beating up Dell, but then it's not exactly much less dark when you just find out it was the other way around. It's still pretty brutal, um, but then it switches <laughs> again, and you get this really like. Yeah, the lovely bit from from Rodney, which uh, you know, saying he always felt safe and he always had you know Rodney, uh, he always had Dell to to look after him, and yeah, that was that was obviously an incredibly nice moment, and that was one of the uh, yeah, I think probably one of the brotherly moments that really hit me um, in this episode, and this this scene was was really good, and we'd not had one of these moments for a while, and uh, yeah, obviously being being a little brother, I can definitely. Um, relate to some of the some of the things that, that Rodney's saying here. Yeah, Rodney says that, that thanks to Dell's sort of hard retaliation that his uh, their old man never raised a hand to them again, which, you know, the 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 job's been done. But they enjoy the stories and sort of creates a little bit of 
romance and sexual stuff going on, so they tuck down into the sheets and start to get a little bit jiggy, but are interrupted to find little Damien's face at the foot of their bed. Just wandered in. Wandered in. Cassandra, I locked the bedroom door. Yeah, it's a really really fun bit here. It's kind of Rodney brings someone else into his uh, way of thinking when he points out to Cass that he, he'd locked the door and Damien somehow flown through it. <laughs> and you see that, that, the fear in Cass as well. Raquel then walks in and crushes this and he goes, oh, okay, no, I obviously forgot to lock the door. But then, I don't know, it's weird that he felt like it must mean he didn't lock the door. It couldn't have been that evil Damien was able to unlock the door it was either he floated through a locked door or he forgot to lock the door they're the only two possibilities I was more sort of concerned with the fact that Raquel's basically poked her head around the door without knocking <laughs> and rather being like oh is knock 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 you know can I come in she literally like opens the door and looks around like hi can I come in well too late love I mean if I was like you know if it was going on you would have already found us doing the dirty <laughs> I think maybe at that point she checked every room of which there probably aren't that many and therefore through process of elimination had deduced that Damien was definitely there and therefore there probably wasn't any funny business going on <laughs> either way just knock the door <laughs> strong feelings on knocking here interesting <laughs> <laughs> If you are the best But you don't ask questions Then brother I'm your man So we cut to the nag Zed And Rodney is uh, saving the whales Or at least attempting to Fair play Rogers Love a bit of whale saving Ah oh, yes of course Do you want to have a little moment here To say a little bit on whales or are you, are you I, I, I'll, just just do it. I'll just do it in whale if you want <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> all right, all right, Dory. So I feel like we've had quite a few of these scenes where someone tries to hold an intelligent debate with Trigger at the table, and it is only going one way, and of course it goes that way, to the point where Rodney literally states that he is living a nightmare by imagining having this conversation with <laughs> Albert and tr- Trigger. Yeah. And Trigger agrees. <laughs> uh, why didn't Trigger ever have a spin-off? You couldn't do it. There's not enough depth to the character. I don't. I don't need depth. I would just happily watch half an hour of Trigger being stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, Roger back is. I watched uh, the the Vicar of Dibley uh, Christmas special around sort of mm. Christmas time because someone was up for it, and. Uh, I, Roger Lopak in that is as brilliant as he is in this. Like, there's so many similarities in the character and the sort of unawareness of the world, but but it's a very different character and just stunning. The, the fact that he can pull off a very different kind of unworldly, stupid kind of disconnect uh, mm. is, is, is kudos to him. And, and it was really, uh, really enjoyed watching him on that. Yeah, I feel like that character is almost a more flushed out version of Trigger because he gets more to do and you learn more about him over time. It's it's a bigger character in the show, right? Oh, yeah. If Trigger was brought up on a farm, then I think he would be that guy. <laughs> yeah. 
We then get another classic, which is Rodney's countdown to predicting the beginning of a during the war story. I know a lot more about the sea than you, Rodney. You'd be surprised how quickly these whales breed. And they're not all as gentle as some people imagine. You get a lot of them together, they can be quite dangerous. During the war. (laughs) Which uh, is just perfect. Yeah, it's really nicely executed. Albert sort of piping up with these prelims to his wartime regalement. <laughs> but the uh, the story is, is pretty insane. It essentially is uh, a submarine quite literally penetrating a whale. Yeah, the story is mental. I feel like they've officially given up making them believable. I mean, we had the, uh, the kamikaze and... Uh, native story a couple of episodes back and this is this is one of them and I don't I don't buy a minute of it I mean also I'm I'm pretty sure that with all the all the time that Albert was spending on boats I can't believe he also spent much time on submarines like I feel like they're slightly different specialities like it's all part of the navy I'm not sure yeah but I'm pretty sure you get divided I would imagine that you get divided I mean he just can't have got all of this done (laughs) I mean, he barely had time to dry his hair between all the times he gets sunk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think it wrong. If we're talking about, uh, you know, Swiss cheese of plots, I mean, Albert's wartime in general is, is very cheesy. But uh, I was going to say we don't ever really find out about it, but I know the last three episodes so poorly, I can't help but think there's some, like... Have massive retcon where they suddenly figure out that he's a war hero and all this stuff is true. But I don't know if I'm just dreaming that or if it actually comes up that that most of his stuff is proved to be correct. I, I have literally no idea. We'll find out. <laughs> it might well be the other way, and they find out that he's just a telling porky pies. But I, I think in in this great little simple exchange, you could basically quote the whole thing because it's just full of one liners. But uh, the bit that properly made me laugh out loud is when uh, is when Rodney uh, discussed what they did after the uh, the whale molestation. So what'd you do when it was over? All lie back and have a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I properly laughed out loud. Still makes his way in, and uh, him and Rodney head to the bar to have a little chat, and Rodney is set to take out. Uh, Raquel and little Damien for a little day around London because his daddy don't have time. Daddy, daddy wasn't there to change my underwear. It seems he doesn't care. Oh yes, tunage. But the the great bit is uh, when Mike. Seconds after being told to watch Dale's drinks, chucks him uh, a large scotch on the house. And then after yeah. Rod tries to uh, sort of as a go at him, he, he tries to charge him the £1.80. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, such a. Just literally said that every line in this four minute bit is like the best line. It's, it's, this is an absolutely outstanding scene. But kind of the jokes do all slow down a little bit and we finally get the serious part where uh, Delboy realises he's been stubborn and he's finally agreeing to uh, 
bury the hatchet and be the one to to make the first move and to call a truce and, and to phone to Raquel. Which, of course, begins with that infamous TV, uh, TV trope of starting to talk the second someone answers the phone only to find out you're talking to the wrong person. It's a fairly good version of that joke, but the joke has definitely been overplayed to death. I always find it's one of those things that I've said loads of times. I never know if it seems so obvious because I've seen it a hundred times or it seems so obvious because it's a trope. But I just don't know if in 1993, if it is as heavy a trope and if you're seeing it for the first time, if, if you kind of do see it coming. I think David Jason's sell on it is so good that I think a lot of people just would still be surprised when it happens but either way it, it's done so well that even if you're expecting it, it it's still funny and that's that's kind of sort of some of the, the genius of the acting is when everyone knows what's coming but you still can't control your laughter at, at the delivery yeah the, the delivery is absolutely outstanding and uh you know you, you're always sitting there thinking ah oh, the one he's going to actually deliver to Raquel is going to be absolutely nowhere near as good oh it but never it, is it never is. And you just think, say it again. Say yeah. it the exact same again. <laughs> uh, it, it's not bad, the one he delivers to Raquel, but uh, it's, a, it's a slightly different, more frank exchange and less uh, you know, monologuing from Dell and just kind of chucking out random sort of romantic tropes. He's, you know, he's having a, an honest chat and apologising and, and saying he's going to change and things will be different and... It's a really nice, frank exchange between the two of them, and and they're both very reasonable. Raquel is quite quick and more than happy to forgive him, which is nice. You always felt like that was the case, is she wanted this to be worked out. And I think that was a big difference between this this and the Rodney and Cassandra stuff, which you kind of felt like they were both making it so much harder than they needed to be. Where this, you know, Raquel couldn't wait for Dell to call her, apologise, and you know, have another crack. Yeah, the the beauty of this episode is it is that it it just isn't that elaborate, and it's so so plausible. You know, Ra- Raquel has been the the picture of reason from pretty much the day we met her. She's been massively level headed and understanding and lovely to tell and to think that what it would take to to get her where she is now in this sort of state of stress and anger and depression and and so on and I don't it's not unbelievable that she would be happy to to give Jill another chance and just go okay he's either learned his lesson or you know he he's a better guy than that and yeah, it's just it's just all kind of beautiful because it's so so believable and and we kind of we can believe that journey that we've been on with Raquel for that and mm. it's really nicely done. Yeah, definitely. I think she's as she's kind of uh, lost her rag in the last couple of episodes with him. It, it seems completely reasonable and justified, and and the uh, and the way she takes to the apology is is just the same and. Uh, you know, it ends with the uh, with the very nice "I love yous." Yeah, it's a really nice little 
magic word, give me the magic words that Dale said, and that that is kind of beautiful. Yeah, that's the right kind of corny. That I like that. But sort of in the middle of that conversation, just before Brad Kettle does come on, something we sort of missed out there. Um, Beverly, the uh, the the dentist receptionist, randomly walks through some of the pub with this kind of suspicious kind of music playing, and she's, to be honest creepily smiling at Dell. It's, it's a pretty intense yeah. smile right into his eyes. And I don't know, th- this is obviously what the, the, the back end of this episode is about, is the sort of chance meetings. But I don't know, it, it's kind of a bit too much chance that she would randomly be in the pub. And my first thought was, that's a bit weird. What's she, what's she doing in the pub? <laughs> What do people do in pubs? I don't. Know. I mean, I know it's been a while since we've all been allowed to go into one, but uh, I think I don't know. For for me, I think although she's a bit the, the smile and the creepy music set a scene. I think you know at this point it's just it's it's a coincidence. You know, he's he's seen her. Maybe she goes there all the time. And he's never really noticed her before, or occasionally. You know, I think at this point. It's it's a first meeting. It's a bit awkward, but, but the fact she doesn't like doesn't say hello or anything is always almost makes it weirder. She just well, sort she's of like walking sp- out. She's the other side of the bar. Like it'd be weird if she went, if she stopped and then kind of I don't know. Yeah, but if you've got to the stage that they're at where they've exchanged numbers and then he's ducked out of it, would you just like kind of smile and walk out and not do anything, or would she be like, oh, oh, they do it? Yeah, you wouldn't. You just say something like the smile and exit. Is a little bit creepy. He dumped her like he basically, um, he basically jilted her, you know. So uh, yeah, which makes the smile even weirder. That's the whole point. Is because well, it's it's impolite to not smile. Like every people always smile when they see people they don't like. But I would kind of expect like an awkward smile, like a hi, or a or a kind of I ha- I'm making this not awkward by being awkward. But she's almost like overly yeah, smiling, yeah, yeah. and there's something about that that sort of creeped me out out a little bit. Yeah, it should be a, a more awkward smile for sure. So we end this scene with Del Boy overjoyed that everything's going to be smooth again and promising to be a changed man and proves this by ordering a bottle of champagne. <laughs> yeah, he has a little uh, a chat with himself, a little bit of a, a giddy up, but he is bang up for a celebration. That is it, Del Boy. You're now a changed man. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Michael, bottle of your finest champagne, please. <laughs> I mean, there's there's one way to look at it, which is if he's about to change and he's not going to be picking up Raquel and Damien until the following evening, well, this is his last chance. <laughs> so now we cut again, and Del Boy is just arriving on the estate, stumbling around outside Nelson Mandela House, battered, walking into bins... <laughs> And singing to himself. Just one voice singing in the darkness. All it takes is one voice. Yeah, and he is, uh, he's waking up the neighbourhood. Albert wakes up and rushes to the window. 
out of nowhere, some random dude starts singing an even more random song, nothing to do with the one that Dale's singing. I love that. <laughs> I know, it's a proper, like, counsellor state of mind. Like, oh yeah, fine. Not. It's like woken up to crazy in this random, yeah, <laughs> this random exactly that. And that, that incites uh, an altercation between the, the crazy guy and some other guy who arranged to, to meet outside and and go for some fisticuffs. <laughs> I actually did check out uh, both these guys on IMDb because I recognised them. Um, so we got but one's from EastEnders, and I can't remember the other ones from. Yeah, they've actually both had a little sin on EastEnders, but yeah, the first guy, Derek Martin, had a very uh, was was on EastEnders for years with quite a major role. The other guy, Nick Maloney, I recognised him, and I couldn't quite work out where from, and so I was kind of looking through his IMDb because I was like, he plays someone really creepy and weird, a bit oh, like yeah. how he's played a crazy person in this one. Yeah, and. Um, I eventually found out what it was. He he plays a, a club owner in um, Poirot, who's like oh. weird. Uh, but he's also plays, um, I think, a fairly similar role in an episode of Jonathan Creek I saw. Oh, and, okay. and, he's, and he's been in all sorts. I think he was also in a couple of episodes of EastEnders and, and stuff. Again, like we spoke about with Beverly, he's... Um, just good, good at playing a mentalist. Yeah, he's just got crazy eyes, hasn't he? But yeah, the, the, these are again two more actors that uh, have very long English TV IMDb's. And uh, Albert's concerned enough that he gives Rodney a call at home at the ripe old time at 2am or whatever it might be. And even this scene gets paid off with some great gags. Like I didn't even write down a quote for it, but for such a throwaway scene when they're in bed, I don't know, it was just hilariously funny. Like There was just not a moment that they didn't draw some brilliant comedy and, and, and uh, bits out of on this episode. I mean, the, the best bit is when Rodney asked the very reasonable question of, what, why the hell are you telling me? You know, what do you expect me to do about it? What do you mean, come round? What do you want me to do, harmonise with him? <laughs> yes. Because that's the joke. That's that, the great that's joke. That's the great one, yeah. I didn't write it down, but I just... It was, when there's too many, when it's when there's like five <laughs> jokes inside a minute, and I'm just like, I can't write fast enough, and I'm just like laughing too much to write notes down, so I'm glad you wrote one down. Yeah, uh, it's... It's such a good joke. <laughs> I'm laughing at it again. <laughs> what, what I also like here is Rodney does something here which uh, I get actually accused of a lot at home, which is uh, when someone asks you to do something you don't want to do or that seems a bit of an effort, complaining lots, but then actually pretty much always intending to do it, but just making it much harder than it needs to be for everyone involved. <laughs> Uh, I've probably done this to you as well. It's just like you know, someone asks you a request. You, you, of course, you're gonna do it because you're not a dick. But you're annoyed at being asked, and so you want to make sure they realise that. And that's what Rodney does. He's like, I'm not, I'm not getting involved. This is your problem. 
you're kind of like boasting your own ego, like, uh, like I'm doing this as a favor for you. Like, I hope you're, I hope you're aware that that I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm standing on protest here, but I'll do it for you. But I don't want to. Yeah, it's that how kind of having your cake and eating it thing of both being a martyr and savior at the same time, and uh, it's a dick move. I need to stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> But we cut back to Dell, and uh, there are two guys fighting, or some kind of fighting in the foreground. Dell stumbling in the background, and sc- scuffling. I think I, I described it as scuffling. Yeah, and Dell is in the background, and there is just this lovely bit where Dell's drunken acapella is joined by this whole backing track. God, I love this bit. So I'm playing it in full. It takes that don't know what it is about that bit just it's just kind of beautiful that i think the actual singing of david jason just worked really well with the music as well and just this moment of elation after over an hour of of turmoil to have one of our favorite things which is drunk david jason and (laughs) calamity going on around us and we're just completely taken out of that with this sort of big band accompanying David Jason singing can't get any better than that that is that is elation in its purest form yeah the music kind of rising comes out of absolutely nowhere it's very very not only falls there's never been a scene like it before or since the whole like it's almost kind of breaking the rules of the show to kind of allow backing music like that uh, but I don't care, it's awesome. It's a really, really great moment. And uh, yeah, I've always loved this scene. It's definitely the the memorable scene I was kind of looking forward to when, when this episode first came up. And uh, yeah, it, it was as good as I remembered it. I loved it. And the uh, yeah the, the, the way they kind of match the, the singing. Like, he, he's not singing particularly loud or powerfully. He's not really trying... And it's good, and it matches the music perfectly. The music is the is the energy, and he's kind of riding that wave. Because the whole time there's no music, he's just he's just bumbling. And then when the music comes in, it's like epic. And you 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 can picture I've done it anyway. Picture myself loads of times drunk, stumbling along, singing a song to yourself, and you can like hear the orchestra in the background. Yeah, you're just in there. You're just transported into that absolute moment with Dell. And like I was saying, the the sort of crescendo into the, the the pinnacle of this moment. And I think 
everyone who watches and loves the show is, is just lost for, for 10 seconds there and just full on in, enjoying it. And yeah, what, what a perfect, perfect bit of the show. And the the way they they fade out of this music is equally brilliant because as as the or- the orchestra then gets drowned out by the sounds of police sirens and explosions and bangs as it becomes clear that uh, this scuffling that Del Boy started by waking everyone up is now turning into a full blown inner city riot. Yeah, there's an absolute line that I love here. Rodney is uh, coming in from the balcony with all the uh, the craziness going on, and <laughs> it's just a great exchange between Albert and Rodney. Mrs. Murphy said they brought the horses out. Yeah, they have. Police are going to get theirs now. <laughs> Sometimes the jokes are just so quick you don't even have time to think. Like it's obvious if you say that slowly, you know it's coming. But sometimes it happens so fast, your your brain it works faster than your brain, so you can't even write it or hear it fast enough. The whole thing is mental. Uh, it's it is brilliant, and we then get it now that Del Del wanders into the living room to to complain about the noise. The bit I didn't really get here is what what time is it? <laughs> <laughs> like it's not it's not the morning because it's dark and we know already that eight a.m. is broad daylight. So like the sun would have started rising about seven. So it's not the morning. He's not got a hangover, but he's also not pissed. It's dark out. Rodney's still. There. I'm so confused. When is this? <laughs> it actually could. I was going to say it could be the next day, but he's oh, is it the following in, evening? He's probably not drunk enough. It could be. He could have slept through the whole day. And Rodney just hang out all there all day to keep Albert happy, or he's too scared to leave, or what? <laughs> no, chances are it's like some hours later, like four or five a.m. But uh, but yeah, it is a little bit weird. And he's but he's neither drunk nor hungover. He's just you know he's got his shit together. In, in which case, I'm immensely jealous. Adele <laughs> is uh, completely oblivious to the fact that he has properly incited this riot. But never want to miss an opportunity. Decides it uh, it could be the perfect moment to go and flog some ski goggles. Next uh, scene is sort of around the market area. Dell is uh, loading himself up with the uh, the aforementioned video recorders, and Rodney's lumped in the back of the van. And we get another sighting of Beverly with this creepy music going on. Yeah, she's just uh, ominously wandering through the market. Maybe she's shopping. Maybe she's stalking. Who knows? (laughs) But this is just a quick scene, and we then cut out to Del in the car with Raquel and Damien bringing them home. Very lovely. Raquel's looking forward to it. She'd heard news of a riot the previous day, but Del assures her all has calmed down. However, he may have slightly exaggerated that. Yeah, what they what they roll up onto is absolute scenes going on. The thing I really loved about this scene was how well it was blocked and shot and put together because there is actually only maybe maybe 50 bodies involved in this, yet it's shot in a way where it always looks really busy. You get loads of different angles. There's a lot of you know, sound effects going on. But, I mean, if you were to take a proper wide-angle shot, I mean, this is 
this is nothing this is just like a, a this is not a riot this is a ruckus between about 40 people i mean it's like a it's barely a rugby scrum uh but it it's shot really well and they get all the angles right and reuse people and everything and uh yeah it's great it looks uh does look like carnage a uh, little couple of random bits of trivia about this bit that i read up on and uh one of them is that the the rioters some of the 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 extras were students from the uh, old vic drama school in bristol and uh, it is rumored to be that one of the uh, the former choir boy alid jones was amongst them I don't know if it's walking true. in the air fame yeah i don't know if that's true or not but it it's uh, it's it's in some of the internets, so it must be true. Uh, also, the the producer I had to look some of this up because I didn't understand it. The producer Gareth uh, Gwendolyn held an equity card. Did you have any idea what an equity card is? Yes, yeah, the Actors Union. I I never heard it before. So for people that hadn't heard, Bobby's now explained it to you. But uh, <laughs> I, I I assume to get on. Probably most sets these days, you probably need to be part of the union so that you're not taken advantage of. And and uh, the producer was an old actor, so had one. And that enabled him to sort of be in amongst this scrap and be one of the rioters and sort of give some direction to the actors and sort of stop them getting carried away. So nice little ace up the sleeve there. Yeah, the equity thing is, is quite an interesting I, I think a lot of people don't realise that it, it's a thing. But yeah, I mean, most uh, English TV and film, you you have to be a member of the union because you know they don't want you know parts being given to just you know Joe Bloggs because he was walking down the street. They don't want to say here, come here, here's a fiver, do a couple of lines because that's that should be a properly paid job to a proper actor. Um, and it's also, of course, how many actors end up having to um, choose their their stage name because equity are the ones that that kind of keep that database. So when you how apply, how do you know to, all of this? I just know it. It's just things, just things you find out in the world. <laughs> but so you know, when you apply to, to to kind of join the equity union, you say this is my name, and they go, "Nope, we've already got that one. <laughs> Try again." And you go, "Can I have this name?" Nope. And you just keep going until you get the name, until you. Uh, it's until be you like get one uh, like one of those username suggestions. Have you tried uh, Jamie Hall underscore sixty nine forty seven nineteen eighty four? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what is the sort of scope of this equity? Do you know if you're an extra with no speaking part? Do you still have to be in the in the union? Because surely there's loads of like public extras that get used in different films and stuff. If you're an official paid extra, which means you are going to be like told to stand over there and walk over there continually on scenes and stuff like a proper a proper extra, then yeah, you'd have to be a member of equity. Um but then you're allowed to have you're allowed to just catch people in the background. You mm. don't have to pay them. They're they're kind of fair game if you film in public spaces. But yeah, if you're going to have official extras, then I'm pretty certain they have to be members of equity. I'm pretty glad to hear it because uh, they're they're obviously like many professions has been uh, some fairly unjust treatment and remuneration for uh, for people's work. So pretty good. I was glad to have to have learned about it. Yeah, it, it's a thing that a lot of other um, 
um, arts could do with, quite frankly. I mean, you know, it's uh, arts are often an area people are taking advantage of with music and design and illustration and all sorts. So, yeah, it's it's a good system, I think. I, I don't think anyone complains about it. I think it's always generally seen as a good thing, except the people who maybe have to pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the man, but the man can suck it. But back into the uh, the carnage, Dell pulls up to the edge of this riot and sounds the horn, <laughs> pointing this riot sea like the proverbial Mo- Moses. And you know this is elaborate. This is this is really pushing the boundaries of believability, as had a couple of things in this episodes. But it's just so brilliant that you just don't care. Like to, I spoke about it very slightly. Do you care? I've got, do Do you think I like this or hate this? Well, what my next sentence is going to be was was sort of bringing on that comparison again to what I said in the first episode to Miami twice, and and it's it's on the word that you said about things being elaborate, and I think that this episode has done a few things which are bordering something that would be believable and and sort of going past it, but something about this episode has spent an hour selling brilliance to me, and I'm so invested in it that that it's just a brilliant down moment and I don't care. Part partly because the episode is brilliant, but but partly for the fact that it's a um a, a memorable moment. It is quintessential only falls. It's it's hard to look at this in a critical lens at this point and I really don't I, I really want you to say that you don't care, but you are a stickler, so I'm gonna say that you probably do because you got to stick up your ass. Uh, I don't care. I really like it. Yay! <laughs> the Wicked Witch is dead, everyone! <laughs> yeah, for, for a lot of the same reasons you said. I think like, the episode has kind of... Uh, it has the, the, the money in the bank to kind of play around in this quite silly way. And it's... Well, obviously, completely unbelievable. It's it's just believable enough in the context of the show that it, it's funny, and and they don't they don't overdo it. He only uses this trick to just go from the outside of the parking space to be able to go park and drop Raquel off. You know, it it's not like he's using it to settle world peace or anything like that, or. So it's it's great. It's it's stupid but very funny. Uh, it feels like a payoff for so much more than just this episode as well. I mean, we've just spent seven series watching Dell for his fails and his his good points. He has he he is a a, a man about town, and like he has sort of always said, you know. He'll help out anyone, and he'll drop him a fiver and whatever. And the fact that people in the middle of a riot would part, and he'd be like, "You're right, mate. How you doing? Yeah, all good there." And he speaks to, yeah, and, and on both sides as well. That's such a a poetic sort of idea that 
you know, he's he's in with the rioters and he's in with the coppers. Like it, mm. it's a personification of of what we spent seven years building up of Dell's personality, and that also just makes it all fine because it it just works. Yeah, I think that's part of the reason I like it is because it's almost a metaphor rather than it is actually. I mean, it is a thing that actually happened, but it's a metaphor for what Dell is and what he represents. Mm. And I think it tells it well. I think the only negative thing about it is because they have to kind of have the wide shot of it splitting. Is it just show off how very few people are there and how like localized this this riot slash scrum um, actually is. Uh, that that's that's the only negative thing I could possibly say about it. It's a fun moment, um, and uh, of arguably the most ridiculous but also best bit is once he's parted parted the Red Sea. It's beeped to start. <laughs> so the next scene, we are looking at the flat, and Dale's sort of making his way into the uh, the flat through the front door, and we get a very quick little tiny foreshadow as as we hear this creepy music before he's even walked into the into the living room which sort of builds up a very quick element of suspense and Del is just proper freaked out and as you would be uh you know I, I don't know what the intention was in regards to this if it was just all coincidence but Deny when she's in the house as well. Even though I'm pretty sure there's no reason that, no way that she could have realistically known that it was Dell, unless it says Dell Boy Trotter on the ad. Which, to be <laughs> fair, it probably could. It could. Um, yeah, I don't trust her as far as I can throw her. I really like what they did with the music because it's almost given. You could look at it critically and say it's almost giving it away. What's it's because her music, they literally intro her with her music, but actually they leave just the right amount of gap that you go, wait a minute, that's Beverly's music, but she surely can't be in the house. That's too much. Oh my God, there she is. Like <laughs> it, it happens at just the right pace, you know? Um, it's, it's a, that, that's really good. And it is like, unbelievable. They tell you she's going to be there. They give you a second to, to realize that should be impossible and then reveal her. It's, it's really good. And uh, we find out she's she's come round answering an ad that Dell had put in the local newsagents that was uh, selling Damien's high chair, um, which had come up before. We know he was doing this. We also know that she has a uh, a grandson, also coincidentally called Damien. So it's uh, they've given you just enough, haven't they, to to not quite be sure what's going on still, and. Dell just freaks out and basically runs away, <laughs> leaving Raquel to do a deal. And there's some very awkward eyes between Dell and Beverly. But uh, yeah, he's gone. So in the next scene, we've uh, we've got a really different angle. Actually, we are looking at Rodney from the uh, the landlord's side of the pub, where where Mike would stand. He's he's having a bit of a a pub lunch, and and Dell is panicked walking up spouting this stalker story which Rodney completely poo poos off and uh and you know comes up with some sort of silly rational reasons for why she would have been in all the places I mean it's not it's not much of a stretch to claim why she's meant to be in all these places the only one that's a weird place to be is his house but then he literally 
put up an advert for someone to come round his house. So it could all happen. But yeah, I mean, Rodney's 100% not picking up what Dell's putting down, and, and Dell's also con- made his own decisions already as well. Uh, I quite, <laughs> the, the thing we haven't mentioned, of course, is there was a moment earlier in the bar where Boise said that he recognised uh, the woman having spotted her at the psychiatric hospital where his brother-in-law was residing at the time. And so Dell has got it into his head that she is an olive short of a pizza, he says, which is a great analogy. The fact that there needs to be loads of olives on pizza is something I can definitely get behind. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so he thinks that she's crazy and stalking him. Um, And that whole mental thing does add credence to his uh to his concerns that she may actually have you know problems so his plan is to confront her he knows where she works he goes storming into the dentist so yeah we're, we're in the dentist Dell marches up to to beverly in in front of everyone without toning any of it down just calls her out and says you know don't come near my family which if you're in a public place and that happens, you'd be a little bit on edge. Yeah, the whole thing is very public. And uh, straight away, Beverly is on the equally defensive because she's, as far as she's concerned, had identical experiences in seeing this man who asked her on a date and then dump, and then uh, jilted her. She's now been spotting all around town. So she, she really holds her own in this little uh, argument. And I quite enjoy it. They both basically say the other one is is stalking and evil. And of course, the big reveal is she was never a patient at the psychiatric hospital. She was a receptionist. She works in medical administration. That is her job. He should have known this. He should probably should have been suspicious straight away, given he met her at a dentist. But yeah, so she, she thinks she knows a nutter when she sees one. Um, she spent a lot more time with him than Dell, and probably thinks he's one. Yeah, they it's a pretty intense chat between them. They're they're both pretty nasty to the other one, and I think that the sort of idea here is to kind of vilify her a little bit as well. So we we kind of think that we don't hold on to that, as it were. But it was a fairly intense argument, but works works brilliantly to sort of close that that door and and that part of the plot. And to the last scene, uh, we are into the flat and it's proper Christmas festivities. We've got Holy Night playing in the background. The hats are on. Dinner's smashed. And uh, yeah, it's a lovely little Christmas scene. It's all very jolly. And, uh, you know, Cassandra and Rodney are going to decide to really hit the drinks and just spend the night there. Don't know where. On the floor slash sofa, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, everything is great. Del Boy, uh, Del Boy disappears out the room shortly to uh, to grab a little treat for everyone. And we have this very interesting exchange where it turns out that uh, Damien's high chair was not actually sold; it was swapped for an answering machine. Rodney is quite impressed by this answering machine and uh, and says, "Let's plug it in and, and see how it works." Shh didn't actually cost anything. I swapped it for Damien's high chair. Yeah? Yeah, you know, I reckon you got a good deal there. She worked. Oh, uh, hello, Beverly, this is Delboy. Um, 
So, in in almost, I guess, a bit of a Rodney and Cassandra type fashion, they've uh, they've been to all the the hard work. Everything looks like it might be solved, um, but it isn't, and it's all it's all come crashing down again, like a house of cards in front of Dell. I mean, it's difficult to feel sorry for him. Quite frankly, he's uh he did bad and he's been caught in the most unlikely of circumstances there was only two ways he was ever going to get caught and that was if she told her or this message somehow got out uh i thought it was very well cleverly put together i don't think anyone would have seen it coming right up until the very last second even though little hints have been dropped throughout the episode about them even needing an answering machine and selling the high chair and you know doing a deal on the chair because beverly didn't want to pay full price they had dropped hints, yet you didn't see it coming, which for me is what I always want. I always want it to be telegraphed a little bit, but maybe not have actually worked it out. Um, so it's great, although of course it is quite a it is quite a somber finish, as we have Delboy and Raquel arguing, things being thrown, and then we get this really weird, ominous scene of Holy Night playing and panning across a selection of, of young children choir singing and at the end uh, a kind of evil grinning Beverly looking up at the Trotter flat. Yeah, it's sinister as shit, isn't it? I've literally no idea what that means. No, I mean, she's she's obviously swapped out this answering machine purposely to, to, to put Del in it. I don't think you could argue any other way but the fact that she's there on what we can only assume is Christmas Day <laughs> stood outside Nelson Mandela house looking up at the 12th floor and smiling maybe she was actually <laughs> in the psycho ward at some point I, maybe she just learnt some tricks <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah it, it's, it is ominous isn't it okay so let's not beat around the bush what do you think of the episode? This was everything that Only Fools and Horses should be. Just plain and simply. Jokes like crazy. Just just the first ten minutes set the perfect scene. We've got all the people that we love in there. All that familiarity. The the triggers and the dancers and the mics. And just you know, that close to home. There were really clever jokes and twists. These intertwining plots and that the links like between Marlene like it, it was John Sullivan does this a couple of times but but I think that it hasn't it hasn't taken place in some of these longer episodes with with Marlene in the high chair and the answer machine they're sort of like darted around really uh, equally throughout the episode and there's like you know curveballs bit of tension dilemma kind of hints of adultery going on kind of what what an episode. I would almost go as far to say that it was flawless. Like I, I cannot 
really speak highly of it. I, I just, I don't have this episode in my head as like being one of the top episodes, and I went in knowing some of the plot and enjoyed it for a full hour and a half. This thing is an hour and twenty three minutes, and there mm. was not a single minute in this episode I didn't love easily into some of my, I'm gonna say top five brilliant episode. Yeah, it, it was a real surprise, wasn't it? Because this isn't one people really talk about. No. Um, and I absolutely loved it as well. I thought it was brilliant. We, I mean, we dropped a lot of quotes over this this kind of pair of episodes, and we had to hold back. There's loads more I would have liked to have dropped as well. It was one of the most joke packed uh, stories we've had in a while. It had a great story. It had little A, Bs and Cs, you know, with a video camera and the high chair and lots of little callbacks. I mean, it was, yeah, it really was just only falls perfection. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that the end was so kind of morbid, it would have almost been a great place to end it just for the, the kind of writing genius. I don't know why it is a, a forgotten episode and a less appreciated episode because it's... Everything, like you say, everything we like about the show is all there. It's even got that you know, um, it's got all the emotion as kind of Del Boy is is romantic and is making up with Raquel. It's got the relationship stuff between um, Rodney and Del as well as they have a few heart to heart moments. It's great. It's it's probably because we're coming off maybe such average episodes like. There was so much missing from the Miami Twice, largely the gang, which we got all back, and those relationships. And Mother Nature's Son was not one I loved either for lots of reasons. And so this was, I'm pretty certain that on its own, if I watched this after some of my other favourite episodes, I think it would still be equally as great and I'd still love it. However, I think it does have that benefit of it's it's a sudden huge shoot up again after a couple of you know below par episodes. Um, curious to to this because you say it's about a forgotten episode, and I was just thinking maybe it was our uh, our naivete rather than uh, it actually being forgotten. But I've just looked on that on our graph that that sort of plots these out, and I am astounded to see that it is. I don't know, mean is 8.4 on IMDb, which is just below sort of the mean episode. And I look at all the ones that are much higher and it's a massive disservice. This is, this is everything I want from Only Fools. I can't believe this isn't revered as one of the best episodes. I, I think it's, it's, it's place in the timeline is really weird because people, absolutely love the last three episodes and mm. and rightly so like those which we keep calling the last three that three those those three episodes are right up there for most people and a lot of people consider you know Miami Twice is a bit controversial I don't think Mother Nature's Son is very popular so it has been on a bit of a downturn and so I think people just put this in the sl- like put this in almost that slump period but completely unjustifiably. 
if you didn't think you loved this episode, please watch it again. Like, now. Stop what you're doing. Go watch it. It's awesome. Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same. It, it's not very often that, that we sort of say to, you know, our so-called modest audience that you need to go and watch an episode, but this this needs to be watched. This is an hour and 20 minutes of only fools and horses gold, and it, it, it's really easy to, to sail that, and, and, and a lot of it because comes off that Miami twice. When I, when I listen to that, episode back and one of the things you said you you were comparing it to the other specials like Hull and Back and Jolly Boys you know and and they are epic they're up there in the top echelons and this is the return to greatness and this this is for me it, it probably isn't quite as good as Jolly Boys but it's certainly as good as as the rest and yeah we we have we are we've actually We've praised this so much, and I'm really happy to do that Get off the back of my min- melancholic moment of depression on uh, Miami Twice, because this is uh, this has brought me right back. Yes, it's it's funny. I kind of forget that, despite the fact that we've done two episodes on it, that it, it, it's such a long episode as well. Like this, we don't even count this really as as one of the specials, um, which which it should be. I mean, those last three episodes that everyone loves so much are, are back down to 60 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. So, this is exactly what an Only Fools special should be. It almost makes Miami Twice look even worse for just being, you know, all money and no substance. Uh, love it. And it it's just a perfect segue, this, um, into the finale the the most beautiful and and brilliant era of only fools and horses. We've got three episodes left. We've got heroes and villains coming up next. Huge, modern man, and then time in our hands. And th- those three are obviously viewed together. But actually, I would I would slide this one along and say that it belongs in with those four. Because they, it, I think they're going to be four brilliant ways to to end this. And I'm, you look back at this episode. How many things were we critical on? Three. <laughs> there was almost no criticizing. It it was almost just to give us something to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was saying on my twice like we couldn't have a podcast if we just said this was great, this was funny, and that's basically yeah. what we've done for this entire episode. Yeah, it's. It's yeah. It's really nice to just be looking forward to amazing episodes. Um, really excited for the next episode. Really, really pleased for everyone hanging in on the double. Uh, we've enjoyed it a lot. I hope you have too. And uh, yeah, definitely got to join us again next week. Well, for music this week, it could only be something epic. There is some music which is. Uh, it's only got a short feature on the episode, but it's a piece of music that I know and love and 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 knew by name straight away, and it just kind of works perfectly for for the episode. And it is uh, Mars, the bringer of war. I think it was originally by Gustav Holtz. Um, a, a great piece of uh, piece of music. Nice, cool choice. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a nice uh, nice piece of music that one playing in the, in the background of the riots very appropriate 
But until next time, guys, we will see you for another epic Heroes and Villains. Thanks for uh, sticking with us on another two-part journey. I'll see you next week. Thanks, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Jay. Thanks very much, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook, forward slash OnlyFoolsBrothers, or on Twitter, we're at OnlyFoolsBros. Or if you want to send us a longer message, you can email us at onlyfoolsbrothers at gmail.com. Also really appreciate it if you could give us some sort of rating or review on your podcast app of choice. Thanks very much. Goodbye.